Hey, this is LOA Today, the Law of Attraction show. Welcome to LOA Today. My name is Walt Thiessen. Today is Tuesday, March 5th, 2013. With me today is Michael Brown. Michael is the author of the recently released book, Fresh Passion, Get a Brand or Die a Generic. At the core of his subject is the idea that every business owner should be doing something every single day to develop and promote their brand's awareness. And further, these ideas are not just for business owners. They're for anyone who wants to get ahead in their respective careers. And while the book is primarily aimed at business-oriented people interested in promoting their own brand names, the principles Michael includes in his book are very much cut from the same cloth as the Law of Attraction, and he's with us today to talk about those principles. So, Michael D. Brown, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Oh, we're glad to have you here. So, uh, Fresh Passion, how did that get started? Where, where did that concept come from originally? Fresh Passion, well, in its infancy stage, though it didn't have quite the... Uh, the acronym that it, that it has today came when I was in undergraduate and graduate school trying to make myself attractive to, at that time, still was a, a labor market uh, that was looking for folks who could do things differently, who can take their business into the 21st century. So sure. I needed to find a way that I could remember how to sell me a brand and uh, had some acronyms to help me guide me. And, and as time went on and working in Fortune 1 companies and Fortune 5 companies began to uh, to uh, tease out the methodology until until what we have now is fresh passion right and uh when you were developing that you were actually developing it from your own experience weren't you from what was happening as you were trying to enter uh the workforce so to speak exactly exactly and and the one question came up is well what uh, what makes you so unique and different and it's different and the first thing that came out of my mouth was well, i'm a hard worker and I realized that didn't get me very far. <laughs> you know, you, you think about it, washing machines will work hard all day long, and they would never move forward. They'll just stay there until you continue to put more stuff inside of them. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? So give us a little bit of a taste. What are the basic principles? Well, first of all, why branding? Let, let's, let's take a step back. Why is branding so important to anyone, not just to a business owner? You, you, you think about it from an individual, from a business owner now, everybody is tight on money, on resources, and time. And they want to look to say, I have X problem. I need to grow my bottom line. I need to go out and find a proven, branded individual who's been there, done that, and who can come in on Monday morning and do the same for me. Uh, companies and organizations have cut back on training. They're, they're not offering training. They're telling you, bring us your experience, bring us your past results, and we will pay for that. We don't have time to build them at this point. The ship is still moving too fast. Right, right. That's one of the funny things, isn't it? When when money gets tight, everybody needs uh, their skilled people to come in already with the skills in place. There's no money available for training. There's no money available for development. It's like we need you to be running right out of the box. And, and the same thing for, for business owners. When folks are in pain and, and they need a solution, they don't want to try a business and hope that it works. They want to go to the business that they know that has worked by either someone told them or they've experienced it before. They don't want to, to use their money trying uh, uh, to see if it works. They want to know that it works because somebody else has gone through it or, or they've gone through it and want to repeat it. In my experience, most business owners really don't think in terms of having their own brand. Is that similar to what you've seen? 
You know, it it really is. I I, I work with a lot of small business, mid-sized business owners, and long before the customer decides to buy you a widget, they're actually investing in you, the business owner. You are the face of the business. And if they don't see, for example, integrity in you and and consistency in you and and value in you, they're skeptical. What are the products or services that you're selling? Will they be equal to what we see in you as an individual? And, in fact, what you're describing there is probably one of the reasons why people don't brand because they think, oh, well, I am honest. I I have good integrity, and my customers know that. What do I need a brand for? So if if you you say a, 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 a an individual is coming to say I, I need someone who's who's good at accounting who can help me with the new healthcare laws and can get me through this physically uh, and and get me on solid grounds and if they don't see you as a business owner who is good at understanding the numbers and the commercial aspects of the business then why would they trust that what's behind the scenes is worth their investment so you're the face you're the packaging of the brand they need to you're the package. Before they see what's inside of the package, they need to appreciate what's on the outside, and that is you, the business owner. So really, then, we can describe the brand as the first impression. For absolutely. And, and, and it's, it's so funny because people will make that first impression within the first 30 seconds, and they spend the rest of the time validating what they believe they saw, they heard, or they felt from your vibe. Right, and, and, and that's true whether you're a, a single, lone individual on Main Street running a shop or you're a Fortune 500 company. It's the same thing in any case. Absolutely. Absolutely. How does this apply now to somebody who is not uh, trying to run a company? They're just trying to develop a career for themselves. It is so important. It is so (laughs) important. It is so important. You think about the labor market today. Uh, You have people, for example, who've been on Wall Street for 25, 30 years. You're competing with that person with a a, a massive amount of experience. So you can't come there saying that, oh, I have 15 years. You have to say, I have a 15-year track record of doing X, Y, Z. So, they, again, as I said in the beginning, the companies and organizations can't take a risk. They can't take a gamble at this point. The shareholders are, are saying, we need a return on last quarter was awful. We need to turn this around. Again, there is no time for training. There is no time for you to find your way through. You have to package up the experience and the result you have and find someone who has that pain point and say, this is how I can competitively deliver better than anyone else. Probably the biggest challenge today comes uh, for young people uh, coming out of school, like you were coming out of school a few years ago, and trying to deal with an, an extremely unwieldy and unfriendly labor market that really is not looking for them most of the time, and, and they're constantly, you know, uh, applying for jobs where there are 50 applicants and so forth, or 100 applicants, and and many people just, uh, you know, especially among this young group, they they get very discouraged very easily to the point where they just kind of give up. How does branding help somebody like them? You know, I, 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 I told some students at university a couple of weeks ago, it's a lot of them are going to vegetarian conventions and trying to sell pork lions. <laughs> <laughs> you, when you understand who's my target audience, is it Apple, is it Google, is it IBM, what are their pain points, what do they need, want, and desire, and what skills do I have to help them to get over that pain point? And if I don't have that skill, then I need to, cuss, I need to get those and stay true to my brand. That's when you're targeting your brand to the right audience. You can't send out – I hear folks all the time, I've sent out 200 resumes. Really, are there 200 people who you can solve their problem? Really. Narrow the focus down to say these are the five folks who, uh, who, who I want to work for, who can benefit from my brand, and I need to package up my brand authentically and show them specifically, this is how I can solve your problem. You have a problem with sales? Here's what I've done to help companies turn around their sales problem. 
What about for people who, like you say, they, they've identified that there's a skill missing or something like that, so they still have to get some education, but in the meantime, they need to they need to bring some moolah in. They need to keep the cash flowing so they can continue to pay for the education with all the student loans that are piled up and so forth. So maybe they're going to go for something that's a intermediate level or even a, a small local company. How does this help them? I think whether you see that there's a skill gap or not, if you take a time, some time back, there is something in your core brand that someone needs that you can do better than anyone else in the interim as you look to go forward. Uh, you, you think about it from a very simple perspective. Uh, could you go and work at a Starbucks, for example? Starbucks values customer service. Starbucks for, uh, uh, values someone who's friendly, someone who's really focused on the customer. Is that a good place for you to go as you close the skill gap, for example? So I think we, we oftentimes, uh, students find themselves saying, well, I don't have that. I don't, I, that's, that's, that's not what I have as a skill. So there's a three-step process around what do I need to do in the short term to, to survive, stand with my passion, and we talked about the Starbucks, Starbucks example. What do I do in the intermediate term around closing that skill gap to get to my long-term goal? You mentioned the word passion. How important is passion to this whole process? It is foundational, and what you have found is a lot of folks are manufacturing their passion to try to respond to this, this dynamic workplace. And you, you will never be fully engaged until you're connected with your passion. And you talk to people who've been on their jobs for 15, 20 years and have not had one commute that they were happy to take to their job. Mm. Why would you want a life like that? But it's also a big problem. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, including myself many, many years ago coming out of high school, but I can't tell you how many times I've talked to kids coming out of high school, coming out of college. They have no idea what they want to do with their lives. They have no idea what their passion is. And let's be honest, public school doesn't really give you a whole lot of opportunity to find out what that passion is. But, but, but what do you do? I mean, you've got the, you got to get the job now. You got to do something now. You got to start paying the rent now. How do you go about finding your passion in the next five minutes? I think if you if you take a step back, if you go into a room by yourself and you said if I, if I could get rid of these four people in my head that I'm I'm living for, <laughs> be, it, be it be it my mom, my dad, my wife, my girlfriend, because I'm living at somebody's passion that I'm doing, but it's certainly not mine. Uh, yeah. And to begin to dig inside of your DNA and say what could I do every day that it, it doesn't feel like working that I'm excited about. And I'll give you a very quick example. You're familiar with Bliss Products, uh, with with I believe her name is Kilgore, who was. Who, who, who developed this very good skincare product. Her passion, she would have these zits popping parties where she would bring people <laughs> over and pop zits on their face. Disgusting as we might think it is, I think it's pretty awful. I think so, too. <laughs> and she would apply these creams and things to their faces. Well, she started Bliss Spa, which is a very good spa in New York and London and all over, and the Bliss Care product line is, is massive. And she sold the things for multi-million dollars uh, several years later. That was her passion, popping zits, and she turned it into her business. Don't get so con disconnected from your passion. If if you want to be a musician, you know people say musicians starve. Well, your business major, can you open up a music school and still stay connected to your passion? Mm, yeah. The, the, the real key there is passion, and passion implies joy. So I guess it's really a question of what do you find in your life is joyful, and even if you can't immediately see a way that that joyful thing can turn into a career, try to find a way to pursue it anyway. Otherwise, you will be like the folks who, who've commuted in, the, in New York's traffic for 18 years and hate what they're going to do every day. And mm. by the way, you won't maximize your potential because you won't be fully engaged on your job because you can't be fully engaged in something you don't really like. So you're actually going, you're going backwards. Whereas if your earnings potential was $200,000, 
you've not been so passionate about, so you haven't been the standout employee. You haven't taken the company to the next level. So you're actually just going through the motion for 18 years and never really maximizing your potential because you are disconnected from your passion. Probably the best way for a young person to appreciate what it's like to grind it out for, like you say, 18 years doing something that's not your passion is if they didn't like school, equate it to that. What's it like to have come through 12 years of school and you didn't really enjoy much of it and there was so much of it you didn't want to have to do, but you did it anyway. Now you're doing it again. Exactly. <laughs> for 18 years. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, so art appreciation and economics all over for 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> Unless art appreciation is what you love, of course. But <laughs> exactly. I, mean, I happen to like economics, but I know most people don't. <laughs> But it, it, it can happen if you just take if you get those four people, those six people out of your head and stop living their passion and their dreams. Stop manufacturing your passion and going from place to place trying to fit in where it's not it's not connected with you. And companies are seeing that now. When they see that this is not really something you want to do, they're less apt to invest in you because they know the return on their investment is going to be less than what they could get if someone was really passionate about their organization. Oh, that's really, really important. Getting somebody's head out of your head, somebody else out of your head, that's always a challenge because you really can't just get rid of something. You have to replace it with something else. That's at least been my experience. Like if you have a, a bad habit or you have a, a, a lifestyle that isn't really conducive to being healthy, so you need to change the lifestyle or something like that, you can't just get rid of it. You can't just say, I'm going to cut it off right here. you got to replace it with something. So uh, I would think uh, part of what your approach is to helping people find their passion is not just pushing those people out of your head, but replacing them with something positive, something concrete, something that they can really latch on to. Well, this is the perfect excuse to do it. It's spring, it's spring season, mm. so you're simply going to uh, you're going to clean people away. People can people are in your lives for a season. They don't have to have a permanent residence there. We make them permanent, even though we they're not uh, in line with our aspirations and where we want to go. You look around in your circle and you have six people who can't help you get forward, who does not appreciate your passion and where you're trying to go. So they can never give you relevant advice, but they're part of your advisory board and they're telling you this is what you should be doing, but you're disconnected and you're fearful to let them go because you don't believe you can recruit other people to be supporters of yours because, you again, you're at a vegetarian convention, convention serving pork lines. Mm -hmm. If your passion is in real estate, then the people, somebody in your circle needs to be the guru in real estate to be able to help your passion as well as you help them do what they want to do. So it's, again, about spring cleaning, not just putting people to the side. Just realize this is not the season that you need them to play an active role in your head. I'm thinking back some uh, a number of years ago <laughs> when, I, when I was in that age group. And uh, I, I don't know if it's still true today for, for young people today, but I know back then it took me – ages to figure out what my passion was i mean i we're talking years i just didn't know i anything that i looked at looked bad to me and if i i don't know if there's any way you could address that but if you were talking to that walt Thiessen from many years ago what you what would you have said to him if, if you if i i use this 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 really basic example that we take out of what we call what is my perfect day and you go through this purging process to say Personally, professionally, economically, if I could draw the perfect day today, what would it have in it? Where would mm. I be? What would I be doing? Who would be around me? And that's the starting point to say, if this is my perfect day, and then on the other sheet of paper we say, where are you today? Here is the gap. On this perfect day, you're living out your passion. You're excited. You're moving forward. You're helping people. You're doing what you like to do. 
But the reality, you're not doing that. So somewhere in here is what you're passionate about because that's what you call your perfect day. And one so thing, now, I, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. So, so where are the gaps? How do we, how do we, how do we replace the things that we're doing today with things that will help us get to our perfect day? And through that, we'll evolve the passion that because you're doing the things that you're happy about. Yep. And, and one of the things I learned um, in the middle of my process was I was putting too much attention on trying to find passion in something I knew where there were jobs available. Bingo. And that doesn't work. Well, unless you happen to find one that really does match up with something you're passionate about, but the odds against that are, are pretty slim. But, but what good does it do if, if, if you can find a job that's paying $100,000, but you hate getting up in the morning going, and throughout the day, because you're not fully engaged, you're going to think about how you don't want to be there, how you'd rather be doing something else, because you're drifting off into your passion in the midday anyway. So you're really not maximizing your potential there. Well, it was even worse for me, though. I mean, uh, in today's money, I was just going after, I, I couldn't even conceive of the idea of going after the equivalent of a $100,000 job. In today's money, I was going after the equivalent of like a thirty dollars to $40,000 job and still couldn't figure out what the heck I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So, so that to me is the bigger issue. You just think about, is it? are you really willing to give up this part of your life that you, by the way, that you won't get to repeat again ever right, right. Uh, for the sake of I just need to make a living. Right. And if we can take a step back to say, well, if I get a brand that's connected to my passion, that is solving somebody's problems and providing fresh solutions, I could have the best of both worlds. Mm. Would that be the ideal life that I'd love to have? Mm, yeah. Yeah, That that that's where you start really looking at what floats your boat. What your what your passion is and what and what the, what it means to have a passion. That, that's the thing that I've noticed. I mean, there are more kids today, seemingly, who have passion than say when I was growing up. But even so, there are an awful lot of kids who they're almost like the wallflowers of life, and that seems to have been a pattern for generations now. Where they, I, I even wonder if they know what they get passionate about. You know, I I think for 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 kids today and for for a lot of folks, it's it's. It's, uh, it's easier to identify the passion. The problem becomes how do you monetize that passion? Yes, yes, yes. If you can separate the whole idea of I have to make money from it, then it becomes easier to figure out what you enjoy doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I guess the thing that probably took the longest for me to learn was realizing that even if I identify something that I can't see any way to make a living from it, it's important to go after it anyway because the more you go after it, the more things start to emerge that show you how potentially you could earn a living from it. Exactly. Yeah. And in fact, this ties into uh, you know the basic theme of our show, which is the law of attraction, which I'm sure you have some familiarity with. And I was attracted to the fact that a lot of uh, what you write about and, and what you talk about on your website and your promotional literature and so forth is very much in tune with, with LOA. Uh, one of the primary concepts of LOA, of course, is the idea that what you hold in your mind is what you'll tend to attract to you. And, and that seems to be uh, very, very similar to what you're talking about um, when you're talking about finding your fresh passion. Oh, it, it, it really is. And there's so much about it that's mental. And really what you begin to feed your head and your your mind will actually begin to manifest itself outward. I, I, I'll never forget and and having done so much consulting in the oil and gas industry, and I could never figure out why people would make life-changing decisions um, with gas prices. You, you think about it, the average car holds about 10 gallons of gas, and gas went up 10 cents, and people said, I can't go on vacation, gas has, 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 has skyrocketed. 
So you are not going on vacation because gas went up by a dollar. So you're telling your mind that I have no ability to have a great life because a dollar will change my outcome. I'm not going to spend the time thinking, how do I make more money so that my family can have a balanced life and we can go on vacation and we can celebrate? Or I'm going to spend the time telling my mind, gas is very expensive. I can't go. I can't go to dinner with a very good friend of mine to network and begin to bring great people in my circle because gas went up by a dollar. For that whole trip, I would have to pay one extra dollar. But your mind gets accustomed to it. It believes that it can't go forward because you don't have the earnings potential or the passion or the brand that will help you earn more so that you can get the greater parts of life. Right, right. Now, the other uh, side of the coin, of course, is the type A personality. He, he or she knows what they want to do. They know what their passion is, and they throw themselves into it so heavily that their their entire life is their work to the point where they can't take a vacation because they've got too much to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you uh, address somebody like that? How, how does that fit into the, the philosophy that you're promoting with, with brand development and developing your passion? I, th- I think, and I, I certainly respect every angle of it. If, if that's what you decide to do, then, then great for you and that works for you. I, I find a lot of time with, uh, with, with, with my clients is it's usually masking a different issue that you absorb yourself in your work because you don't want to deal with something else, i.e., you don't want to spend as much time with the family. You'd mm-hmm. rather go into your man cave so you don't have to deal with your, your wife who has a honey-do list on Saturday that's about 130 miles long. Uh, or you just don't want to make other decisions because you're very comfortable in your work. This is comfortable for you. I don't have to deal with X, Y, Z. And it's a great way for me to get keep people at bay. So when you begin to peel back the onions is, are you really having a maximized life? Do, would you, how great would it be to bring other people inside of your passion and that you're helping them to achieve their passion? Is that a part of life that you want to be known for? Or is it just, I don't want to have to deal with the rest of the world right now. I want to absorb myself in, in that. And when you truly understand that, you'll make some different decisions. And perhaps a suggestion to those uh, spouses who have the honey-do list, maybe they might want to consider... You know, putting the honey-do list aside so they can get uh, back into the relationship with their spouse? Exactly. If, if, if the way to your spouse into developing a healthy relationship is through their passion, then you have to learn from a branding perspective is how do you make that part of your brand? Mm. Uh, how do you make that part of who you are? If you're, you're struggling with a relationship and it's in a relationship is not as healthy, well, you're not really offering anything to the relationship that is attractive to your spouse and vice versa. It's and funny. We, we have to say that, you know, is if, if this is not what we're, if, if our passions are so disconnected that it's not causing us any time to connect, then we have a problem that we need to figure out where we go from here. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny because it, it's becoming more and more evident as we're talking here that brand reaches into corners of our lives that most of us never even thought of. Absolutely. It is who you are. It's authentically who you are, and you can mask it for many years, and you can hide, but the truth and that at the core is this passion that really is who you are. And what we've done is, over time, we've had to manufacture that to monetize it. We've had to manufacture it to get a, a relationship going because we know that we needed a, a significant other, so we've kind of manufactured it. That's why you look at and you shake your head about someone who's been dating for eight years and they get married and they get divorced in three months. What came up in three months that didn't come up in eight years? Because Mm. you were manufacturing your passion 
and what you really wanted out of life to be able to make the connection. And you, and at some point you got comfortable enough to say, well, I should be able to show you my true side and you should still fall in love. No, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> That's not the brand that I bought right? or that I, I said I was going to commit to for life. So, so this leads to a question in my mind, which is branding is about identifying what your true passion is and presenting that to the world. How often do companies come up with false brands? In other words, how often do companies develop brands that are, you know, they're intended to uh, meet a certain public image or, or, or appeal to a certain demographic or something like that, but they aren't really what the company truly is all about at its at its core, at its spirit, at its soul level. Rather, they're they're, they're trying to put out an image, a, a, a you know this this flat non-real thing out there that that uh, people don't really identify with. I, I, it strikes me that happens a lot. Do you see it that way? Oh, it, it, it really does. If you if you look at example for Best Buy, who's going through a terrible time now, because at the core of when they were founded, it was about if I'm not an electronic geek, I can come in and you can help me figure out how to turn the VC, to keep the VCR from blinking. You could help me. That's why I came to you for that level of expertise. Mm-hmm. The CEO decided... Uh, several years years ago that that's not what we can afford to do. That's an expensive value proposition. People can go online and they can figure this out for themselves. Mm. So we need to change the model. We won't have as many people on the sales floor to help you. And then the model went down in a handbasket. And now he came back this year and said, we have to really change the way we do things at Best Buy because essentially what people do is they come in, they look at our item and get a physical view of it, and then they go online and buy it. Right. Where, by the way, they can find reviews and they can find customer comments to help them make the buying decision. So you're not going to offer that. That was core of who you were as Best Buy. We'll, we'll still use you as a physical place to look to touch to feel the item, but we'll go and make our final purchasing decision on Amazon or someplace. And that becomes a core challenge for wide ranges of businesses who find that uh, their brick-and-mortar approaches aren't effective anymore, that uh, they're, they're being undercut, if you will, by the Internet, and now they have to face this strange new world. How on earth do I survive online? Exactly. And, and you look at a lot of, of entrepreneurs who are in the restaurant business. Everybody believes that they're very good cooked, and they have they have a recipe, an Italian recipe that was passed uh, down from their mother who came over from Italy 30 years ago or 300 years ago or whatever. And they get into the business, and if that Italian lasagna doesn't sell, they begin to add other things, which is really not core to why they started. They Now they're offering chicken wings. Well, that's not something that you're good at. And over time, the menu becomes so massive that they can't manage it, and they can't keep the consistency up, and they go out of business. You look at somebody like Wendy's. Wendy's has said, we will change the menu up, but we'll never have more than X number of items because this is what we can manage, and we mm. can do consistently. Right, right. And, and, and a very... Recent example, and people look at, I was talking to a reporter last week around Pope Benedict. Pope Benedict's passion is an academic theologian, not a CEO. Mm -hmm. And I so appreciate him for having steel in his spine to say, this is not what I'm passionate about is running an organization. My strength and my brand was in the keeper of the faith as an academic theologian not to be running a billion-dollar enterprise with hundreds of thousands of employees. Right, which it really is. Yeah, I'm behind the scenes. That's where my passion is. I've done well for the Catholic Church in that role, and I know no one has done this in 600 years, but I want to get back to my passion. One of your major roles in your life is being a public speaker, and you've uh, done speaking at a, a wide range of some of the top Fortune 500 companies, I mean, the list is rather um, very much of a who's who, Marriott and U.S. Army, Wendy's, Omni Hotels, Houston Rockets, Capital One, Wells Fargo, on and on and on. 
but you, I imagine you've also probably done a lot of speaking at the local level and with uh, small organizations and so forth. Where, where do you find that you, you are able to connect easily and, and with the most effectiveness? Are you, are you better with the corporate people or are you better at the uh, grassroots level or is it a mixture? I'm, I'm better at helping you to take individual responsibility. Ah, okay, so it's individual level. It's, 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 I can speak, uh, I've, and I thank God for the gift, I can speak to a group of 5,000 and the message can reach the individual, the individual and penetrate their own mind and psyche to say, what am I doing mm. to make this a reality? What's my role? What's my contribution? It is not Marriott. It is what's my contribution to the problem. What's right. my contribution to the solution? And here's a process to help me get a solution that will help the company. Well, that's the mark of a good speaker, being able to speak to 5,000 and have every person in the audience feel like they're, that you're talking right to them. Yeah, that, it, it, was, it, it, it didn't dawn on me until maybe 10 years ago, and, and, and I saw it for, and I still see it to this day on the feedback, where people become so, inter- and, and believe that it's so customized for them. Um, because, again, it's about that individual brand, that individual contribution that you're making. And when you begin to put yourself into the equation and not say it's about them, you'll make a, a fundamentally different decision and become excited and motivated about how you can, how your brand can fit into the whole of the organization. Now, in your Fresh Passion methodology, uh, you identify uh, a series of steps, unique steps on how to improve uh, the, the various elements involved in that brand. Why don't you identify what some of those elements are and what the steps are that, that people can take? So if, if we talked quite a bit about passion at its core, and that's really about doing what, what you're excited about and maximizing your potential, the, the, the next one, and we, we say FRESH, and then we break down the acronym PASSION. FRESH is about really do, are you doing something relevant and timely, or do you have payphone skills for a smartphone world? If you are a business owner, is, are the solutions that you're providing fresh and relevant? What am I doing to make my brand stand out? You think about it from just a social media perspective. It, your brand should have some ele- element of that because that's where marketing is going. That's where how we're meeting con- consumers and having a dialogue with them. So am I fresh and relevant in whatever field I'm in, or, and what do I need to do to become fresh? You know, you mentioned social media and uh, outside of my LOA Today life, I'm an online marketer and I help uh, companies do online marketing. Um, social media is probably the most confusing thing for your typical business owner, especially somebody who's been in business for quite some time. They just don't know what to make of it. They can't see how on earth it could possibly help them. Talk a little bit about social media and, and first of all, how it ties into branding, and second of all, how it can tie into either a business strategy or into an individual strategy pursuing a career. You, you think about it today. Our consumers have changed and changed, and you have to meet them with a timely, a relevant, and a pain-solving message where they are today. And everybody is living from the palm of their hands with their smartphone. Right. That's where they are. They're not yeah. going to the newspaper. They're not going to the magazine. They're not turning on the TV. Or if they turn on the TV or go to the magazine, they're doing it all from the palm of their hands. It's about connecting with the customer with a fresh and relevant message where they are today. That's what social media does. And people are more trusting of, of, of you when they see some engagement on in the social communities because other people are having a chance to look at you, they're having a chance to comment because nobody is going to publish an advertisement in the newspaper to say that we're a bad company. You're going to make it very nice, you're going to make it very glossy, and you're going to promise the world. Social media gives us a bit of rawness and a bit of transparency that folks can say, is that widget really worth $100? 
one of the, one of the biggest challenges for a company that is first engaging in social media, and indeed for for an individual who, especially perhaps an older individual, because the young they they kind of absorb the social media through their fingertips. That's part of how they grew up. But somebody say in their late thirties, forties, fifties, it's new. It's scary. It's like you know that's where they talk about what their dogs did in the backyard. I don't understand. <laughs> for somebody like that, how do what do you say to them in terms of where to begin? in terms of, of using social media to brand yourself? How, where, where on earth do you start? Well, well, first of all, you start with the brand. What is my core message? What's my core value proposition? And what am I promising? What's my delivery promise to the customer? Okay. Oftentimes, people get on social media and they're confused because they don't know what to communicate. Are you going to be someone who offers your aunt's favorite lasagna or are you going to offer chicken? What, what are you going to be? And if somebody invests in me, What's going to be the return on their investment? Are they going to leave full and happy, or are they going to be they going to leave with an experience that they will rave about? So it's about having a core message first, because if you can get on if you get on social media, your message can easily get distorted if you don't know what you're putting out there. So number one, find your core message in your brand, and if you have no idea what it is, get you an intern from the university and have them to work with you for 30 for 90 days. They'll be happy to do it. It's mm-hmm. an economical way to get into it and for someone to teach you social media and to really help develop your strategy, especially for marketing students who are looking for a proof point on their resume to show that they understand social media because that's what they're going to have to talk to the employer about, and, you, and, and they can come in and be an intern for you. One of the most common mistakes I see among businesses that do try to engage in social media is that they treat it as an advertising vehicle. They treat it as just a place to advertise the same way they would advertise in a newspaper or in the yellow pages or something like that, and they don't get results, and they get frustrated. They don't understand what's going on. They, and what I usually try to teach them is how uh, you have to treat social media for what it is rather than trying to treat it like it's some sort of a publication. But it's a tough concept. How, how do you address that problem of, of the indirectness of social media? Social media, and, and, and remember, Facebook was never meant to be a commercial site. And, and, and the younger generation got really angry when corporations started to join because the companies did go in very hard. hard. I have a 2004 Mercedes for sale. Would you like to buy it? as opposed to starting a dialogue about for car enthusiasts and offering free. You have to offer almost 60% of the content free and something for free as you're building the trust with them. You don't ask for the sale from the community for a long time. So social media is a community-building platform. It's about building the community, not asking for the sales straight away. You're doing it in a subtle way after you've gotten the trust of people and you've gotten people interested in what you're having to offer without even giving, without even selling them anything. You think about it, for an example, of Scout Mob and Groupon and all of those places. It's about giving the consumer something to get them into the door to introduce them to the great products and services that you have. Social media is the same way. What are you willing to give? How are you willing to help people educate them on your cars and your services long before you offer the sale or, or, give the, or ask for the sale? And the funny thing is, if you do it right, you can actually do it so effectively, you never have to ask for the sale. They just find out who you are because you're giving them all the stuff, and they say, well, shoot, maybe I should be doing business with them next time I need whatever widget it is that they sell. Well, if, if you look at someone like Domino's Sugar, which is one of the largest sugar producers, they had they brought on a company who would mine data for them. And they talk to people who are sugar lovers and people who like desserts, and all they offer are recipes. Mm. But guess what's in the recipe? You need sure. to use that sugar. Right. So they're, they're offering something that's not asking for a sale, but saying, 
here's what we have to offer. Here's why a, a, a something is good for you if you want to make dessert on a Friday night. So look at your business to say, what can I offer for free? And begin to build that trust in that community. And the second piece is you're getting an online presence. When people want to do business with you, the first thing they do is Google you. And if you don't have that social footprint or that online footprint, they're less likely to trust you. What we're really talking about here is what I call, in my business, I, I call it a topic bridge. Uh, because while people don't necessarily want to hear you, you as a plumber talking about, well, I go in and I'll, you know, I, I can solve any plumbing problem and yada, yada, yada. But if you topic bridge to something perhaps related to plumbing, such as, I don't know, I'm kind of making this up as I go along, but uh, maybe environmental concerns because plumbing, obviously, uh, when, when water comes through your house and you use it for various stuff, it goes out through the sewer system and then it becomes part of an environmental issue. So maybe you tie it into an environmental issue and you become uh, sort of an expert on that and that becomes one of your, your topic bridges that you address in your social media. Now all of a sudden you have something that people want to uh, tie into and, and engage in and they have a reason to know who you are rather than just, well, I'm just a plumber who offers plumbing services. Correct, correct. Yep, that's that, that's probably one of the most difficult concepts to not only understand but to teach as well because uh, I, I just know from personal experience you, you can explain it to people, you can explain it to business owners, and they'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do I get to the top of the rankings again? <laughs> uh, that's an ongoing piece of fun, that's for sure. So, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I, I feel your pain there. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge, but it's also what makes it fun. So uh, I wanted to get back to the, uh, the the steps that you identified. One of the points that you make in your literature is that it isn't just a question of knowing what the steps are. It's a question about practicing them and how practice makes perfect. Talk about that for a bit. So it, it's okay. I, I, I have this brand, and it's a great brand. It's about now delivering the proof points. Who has experienced this brand, this great brand of I, and what were the results? and how I can duplicate those results for the next company, the next organization, the next individual. So take my brand out to the marketplace, and what you will find is there oftentimes it will need to be refreshed. It will need to have a different angle, a different stand, still stand with the core of your passion and who you are, but that it needs to respond to a, a changing demographic, a changing audience. Women don't receive it the same as men. Young people don't receive the same as more senior people. So how do you take that brand and have it reach across all of the target audience? And that will come through practice and presenting it to folks and saying how and getting feedback on how do I refine this to make it even more exciting and appealing for the next uh, quote-unquote buyer. And the funny thing about the kind of branding we're talking about here, because we're not talking about, again, we're talking we're not talking about the kind where you just create this, this image that isn't really you. We're talking about tying into who you really are. So when we're saying practice makes perfect, what we're really saying is perfecting the art of putting out there who you are. And, and that's really what it's all about, because the more you do that, the more people find out who you are, and they become interested in you, and they want to engage with you, and all that, that ties into what we're talking about with social media. It talks and ties into what we're talking about, about developing a career. It ties into all of it. Yeah, when, when we talk about the whole passion concept, it's about preparing yourself, aspiring to reach your goals, uh, staying laser focused, selling like you're crazy, invigorating yourself, omitting the negative. And this last piece is so critical that we're talking about now. It's called nailing the brand. This mm. is where you package everything up. You think about Godiva, for example, or Tiffany's jewelry for for the, for the ladies who are so in love with it. Is the initial purchasing purchasing decision is made on the packaging, 
they trust what the packaging look like, and then once they unravel that to see the core of who you, who you are, they're making an even greater investment. But if the packaging isn't right, they don't get you don't get them to make that decision within the first 30 seconds. And that packaging is how you look physically, what you look like in social media, what your resume looks like, what your website looks like, what does the front door of your business look like, what does the back door look like. That whole pack, packaging is the, the combination, combination of the brand. So the so packaging, what is the packaging, yeah. So the packaging is more about. Um, it, it isn't about again trying to put out a false image. It's trying to figure out what do you, as your real person in your real passionhood, what does that look like, and then presenting that look. And, and it needs to be consistent across all media, all platforms, so that everyone can say that's that's. Uh, that's John Smith. I know what John Smith is able to do. That is who he is because I see the same packaging, that messaging on Facebook, on Twitter. I see it in his advertisement. I see it in his store when I go there. It's consistent. How important is it to, pr- to project joy in all of this? Misery doesn't need any more company. Nobody wants to talk to <laughs> somebody who's miserable, yeah? <laughs> who wants to join the misery bus? Nobody voluntarily gets on the misery bus. And, and if you're not excited about it, I don't trust it. <laughs> I don't want to make an investment in you. I guess the question I was trying to raise is, if you're feeling joyful about something and you're passionate about something, isn't it important to really project that joy and passion? Because too often many of us will kind of keep it inside. Yeah, we're, we're privately, quietly joyful, but we do it, you know, we, we do it very uh, discreetly. We don't tell anybody about it. I, I will give you an example, and it's it's um, it's something that I've, I've I've done for for many years. Have you ever gone into a Starbucks and on a consistent basis and found an employee who wasn't happy to sell you a six dollar cup of coffee beans that have been ran over hot water at 160 degrees and smiling <laughs> while take where you, where you have to give them a ten dollar bill for a cup of coffee? Yeah, that's true. They believe that product is going to elevate you to a new level and make you feel happy about yourself. And before you know it, I've seen people come in there, myself included, who's having a really bad day. It's hard to keep the frown in your face when that barista says, what can I get started for you today? Because now it's all about you, that I'm going to make something customized for you to, to, to make you feel better. One of the coolest things for me as I was developing myself over the years was uh, coming out of my shell. I was very, very introverted. I have learned extroversion in order to survive. But uh, in the process of learning that, what I discovered is I've always been somebody who likes to connect with people who, who enjoyed it, but I always kept back. I, you know, I was always in the background, and I would not engage unless I was engaged with first. But as I learned to put myself out there in small incremental ways, I found all these opportunities opened up for me to engage with people on a personal level. And that made it easier for me to come out of the shell. Whereas if I was trying to do it on some sort of a, you know, just a plain formula that didn't have any connection to that person that I was inside, that wasn't going to work for me. It was the action that was taking the step of, of realizing just through little tiny baby steps that I had opportunities opening up. And those opportunities were more opportunities about personal connection than anything else. Sure, they would lead to career, they would lead to health, they would lead to a variety of things. But it was the opportunity to make those personal connections that made it easier. Interesting. I, 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 I love that. Love that. Oh, good. <laughs> well, it took me a lifetime to learn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, you make one more point in your uh, your little summary that you, you hand out that says, "From humble roots to great heights, you you have a personal story 
that uh, has taken you rising from poverty to achieving tremendous corporate success. Tell us a little bit about your personal story and and how it has played out for you. Sure, it, it, it's it's an amazing, it's it's an interesting one, and I didn't talk honestly. And you talk about finding yourself. I didn't talk about it until I wrote the first book, Fresh Customer Service. I, oh, really? I, I never talked. I just never went to talk about it, and and it was always this disconnect because people thought that I I went to Harvard one day and got out, and I had this great success, and life was great, and and, and then I had a lot of silver and gold spoons, and it was it's farther from the truth. Uh, I grew up with ten brothers and sisters, and and Mrs. Wow, and. Uh, and my mother was single, um, and and we were we were raised on on welfare. I mean, mm. very limited amount of resources. Yeah. And uh, in order to help the family and and to help myself, I started selling candy at school, mm-hmm. and um, I I I would con- I connected with this 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 entrepreneur who had a store, and she would give me first dibs on all the new stuff that would come out, and I would rush and get it as soon as the truck delivered it off, and I would take it to school, and this is candy that people couldn't get anyplace else, along with some normal stuff. So people would come around and buy this, and I got in trouble with the principal because kids were missing class ah. because they were the, the lines were too massive. <laughs> so he he took it from me oh, and no. um, and punished me. And and a, and two months later, he started to sell candy on behalf of the school and asked me if I would help him. And I said, I'll sell <laughs> yours as long as I can sell mine in the same container. So I had this plastic see-through bucket that could, kids could see my display and what I had to offer. And I sold some <laughs> for the school as well. And that's how I, I, I got myself through 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 high school and helped my family. So it was about that customer experience and giving customers what they wanted, but also being known as the candy man with the latest, greatest, and and most interesting candy. Um, and then started out and and um, and, and working in in in, uh, in hotel and hospitality, and then went into oil and gas and and had about 17 promotions after that, all because. I, they understood my brand, and I had brand ambassadors in the company who would say, you have a problem, and I would go into companies when they were downsizing and reorging to help the organization stay focused but also improve the skill sets of the people that could deliver in the next phase of the organization. So that's what my brand became known as, delivering fresh results during with people, even in turmoil. And that's how I, I, I got started. Wow. You, you In the course of that, you described how you went into hotels and hospi- hospitality and jumped to oil and gas. I mean, talking that's not a bridge. That's a chasm. How did you get from one so, to the next? So I started in, in hospitality in Little Rock, Arkansas, and, and needless to say, that was right out of, out of business school. And I just didn't I, didn't, I didn't study in business school how to deal with people who didn't show up for work. I didn't know what to do. It's like, what, what do you mean you're not going to come to work? You're on the ah. schedule. So it was a very... A very, t- a very tough time for me. I'm running an, op- uh, an airport operation with seven different businesses, and I, I didn't understand the practicality around how do you make this work. And I wanted to be nice to people and realize that I needed to get a little steel in my spine. And but that company wasn't right for me. It, it just wasn't aligned really where, where I was passionate, and I needed an intermediate step. So I had a good friend who was working in the financial industry. I ran over there and realized ethically I couldn't do that, uh, and I had to get out of that. And, and this is again, I had not planned properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I knew where my passion was, and this opening came up in West Palm Beach, Florida, to manage a, a gas station for a Fortune 5 company, and I said, West Palm Beach, Beach sounds fine. I can get out of this hellhole that I'm in now, and I'll make it work, and went through a really difficult time in the early stages of really seeing how I fit in and, and, and realized that it was about delivering results and really said this is my passion and what I wanted to do. Wow, that, that, it's, you, you make a very large leap sound like a very small one. <laughs> <laughs> But but what I did is I I didn't become a victim of my circumstances. I realized that I was responsible for getting to where I wanted to be, and the, though the job I didn't want to do, I didn't let that show. 
I put my I I I, I chalked it up and said I'm going to give it 120 percent. No, it's not what I'm really passionate about. This is a means to get to where I'm passionate about, and I have to deliver and get the proof points that I know how to deliver results in the most tumultuous situation because I want that to be part of my brand. Mm. And and there's also a really neat lesson in there, too, because even as you pointed out, you didn't really have much of a plan. You didn't let that deter you. You you still went through the process anyway of trying things. I mean, it's a little bit... uh, Oh, I don't know what the word, right word is. It's, it's disconcerting, perhaps, or it's uncomfortable to to be trying to change careers and trying trying new stuff out. But you did it anyway, and in the course of doing that, stuff started to emerge. Opportunities start to emerge that didn't exist before. So even though you didn't have a plan, maybe in some ways it worked out pretty well anyway. I, I think it, not 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 uh, not not terribly excited about where I am, and 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 the good thing, the, the exciting thing is, is I really practice what I preach. It's about staying fresh and relevant, and I'm doing something every single day around how do you keep the brand fresh, how do you respond to the changing uh, economy, how do you change to the changing needs and wants and desires of, of your, your of people, uh, and that has kept me going. Is that I never stop uh, keep, keep making myself fresh and relevant. So speaking of fresh and relevant, what's fresh and relevant for Michael Brown right now? What do you see in your immediate horizon looking, say, I don't know, three to five years out? So the the three to five year plan is one of the things about fresh passion and fresh customer service and all the things that I'm doing is that people are really hurting and they need... A, they, they need the educational aspect of it. They can buy the book and they can read the book, but there's some fundamental um, skills development and really understanding passion and understanding how to run a business and understanding a corporation how to take to, to really take the front line to the next level. And that can only you can only do so much of that with a one-hour speech on stage or a workshop. So the next phase is around opening up the the, uh, the Fresh Results Institutes, which is which will be the incubator of all the intellectual capital and give people a longer time to be able to absorb and to practice what they're learning. So that's the uh, three to five year horizon that's uh, quite uh, excited about. So, so Fresh Results Institute, is this is this like a, a degree of higher education or, or what is this? It will be a learning center. It will be, it'll be an institute where you will come and you'll get certified. Uh, you, an organization can bring their people there. There will be a nonprofit arm where community organizations or small entrepreneurs who are trying to start out can come and get a week-long um, a series on how to start a business, and we bring in other business owners who can have mastermind groups that talk about the problems that they're having. Because oftentimes when you arrive there, it's a lonely place at the top, at the middle, wherever you are. And to be able to have that safe haven where you can come with like-minded people to help you stay fresh and relevant is one of the pieces that we're really excited about because it will give entrepreneurs, whether you're a barber or someone who's opening up a, a, a large corporation as a CEO, where can you come with like-minded people and be able to have these mastermind sessions and be able to really connect back to your passion and stay connected. So in a sense, it sounds like it's a combination of, a, of social circles combined with uh, guruing and, and uh, mentoring and, all, and all how mentoring ties in. learning, yes. Yeah, and, and mentoring is so powerful, isn't it? Have you had mentors in your life that have influenced oh, I, you heavily? I have. I, I have. I'm, uh, I, I, had, I had a lot of mentors early on, but I've, I've learned the process on how to screen through because not every mentor is a good mentor for you. How do you pick one? I, I really look at my brand and what area I want to strengthen my brand in, and I want to connect with someone who's been there, who's done that, and also someone that I can give back to. I don't believe in one-sided mentoring. Uh, I think that's a bit selfish. So it's really about how can we help each other. There's an there's a give, a even give and take. You have something that I need, you have something, that, and I have something you need. And the relationships are much more healthy that way. 
That's a very interesting and, and, and quite healthy approach, I think. How, how do you identify for somebody that, that, let's say you've identified someone who has been there, done that, as you say, and, and they're, they're doing the thing that you want to be doing. How do you identify for them what you might be able to give to them? You know, it, it, uh, it, it's, it's literally, I don't have to, uh, folks come to me, so I haven't had to seek that out. Oh, okay. It's really around my ability to extract value from frontline folks, for example, in the corporate world is, how do I, as a middle manager, CEO, connect to my front line so that I can infuse that into the strategy that I'm building? Okay. All right. Well, that's nice then that uh, they're, they're coming to you. That means you're, you're really doing the attracting. Yes, it's, it's an exciting thing. All right. Well, before we lose you here, I think what we want to do is make sure that people can find out more about you. So, first of all, do you have a website where people can learn more about the, the Fresh Passion and, um, and Fresh Results Institute and all that kind of thing? If, if you go to myfreshbrand.com, M-Y-F like Frank, R-E-S-H, brand.com, myfreshbrand.com, uh, it's a great site because on that site you can sign up for 52 personal branding tips where every week you'll get a tip on how do you take your brand to the next level, how do you develop your brand. And uh, So if you just go to myfreshbrand.com and, and you can go from there and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter and all of that is, is right on that site. Okay, yeah, and, and we'll make sure that we tie in uh, those links to the article where this gets published as well. Um, the other thought that uh, occurs to me is it, the, the Fresh Results Institute, it's still under development. Is that something that people can participate with, participate in in some meaningful way now, or do they just have to wait? They, they'll have to wait. They, the participation with us now is through My Fresh Brand, and you can connect with us with, with the 52 Tips. Uh, okay. Our social platform and our blogging is quite active, and we're connecting through th- with thousands of people across the world, actually in that form and it's the best way to connect with us and stay in, con- in connection with the fresh material that we're, we're putting out there. Okay, so there is actually a community actively uh, at work there, so even if there isn't an official institute in place, they can at least get a taste for what the institute's going to be like now just by interacting in that community. Oh yeah, and, and, and certainly we, we have coaching programs and we have, as you talked about, our a list of places. It's not only the Fortune 500s that we work with, we work with a lot of small business owners and and individuals who come in through our coaching program who just needs a session on how do we I really identify my passion, Michael, and how do I package this up. So there's a little bit for everybody, uh, and, and we're, we, we, we believe that everyone should have the opportunity to have a maximized personal, professional, and economic life. You also mentioned nonprofits earlier. What kinds of nonprofits do you tend to work with, and uh, what kinds of results have you achieved there? I imagine that it's been uh, similar but different. Nonprofits can be a different animal from for-profit businesses yeah, and individual a, careers. Believe it or not, I started a nonprofit when I was 13. So Did you really? You can imagine the, the nonprofit world had to, that I was a part of was turned on their head when I decided to go to corporate America. They thought that was the most evil thing any human being could do. <laughs> <laughs> and my basic thing was, I need to go and make money so that I could give more back. Is that okay? Yeah. And they were fine with that. Yeah. Uh, but we work with a lot of universities. We have, a, you would have seen those on our sites, where we really say, uh, we go in and work with their with, with their students and their deans and their their presidents around. You have to get your students branded between this freshman and senior year because they need to be on the marketplace to be able to get a maximized return. One so that that it will speak good of your organization as a as a university, but also that they can have a better life. They can give back and they can recommend other students to you. But you're responsible for giving them every opportunity to develop a brand here. So we do quite a bit of work with universities um, and and helping their students and, and helping their curriculum. 
I think nonprofits are another area where branding often gets lost and people in that field forget that they have to do branding as much as anybody else if they want to uh, develop what they're trying to do and, and have more of an impact that they're trying to have on the community at large just because they, they, they need to have that, that presence out there so people know who they are and what they're about. You're absolutely right. I think the biggest mistake that nonprofits make is they truly believe they're nonprofit in every sense. You're a nonprofit from a from an IRS perspective, but you still need to deliver a profitable experience to your folks, and you need to stay in business. And the only way you stay in business and then to attract funders is that they understand the brand that you have is helping people to have a better life. Right. And we so oftentimes we have people who are very passionate about helping people that they don't understand how to run the operation as a business. And that's so important. I mean, my my own business. I actually uh, did a lot of work with nonprofits, particularly in the earlier years. I I, I went out as an entrepreneur after working in the corporate world. Um, I started part time in the mid 1990s, and then went full time in 2002. And uh, the the transition obviously is is a difficult transition, but. One of the things that I found made it, made it easier was if I was going after nonprofits because they were the ones who needed the most help, particularly since what I do is mostly online stuff, and they needed help getting online, so it, it, it became very important. But as the financial crisis came in 2008, a lot of them went by the boards, and, and of course it, it affected me uh, terribly, but it affected many of them by just disappearing, and the ones that survived, it's been a real struggle for them to survive. How does branding help a, comp- a nonprofit that is in survival mode? What's what's important about branding for somebody like that? So, uh, again, it, it goes back to this very simple piece. Who's my target audience? What do they need? What are the desires? And how can we deliver? You have to be fresh and relevant to your constituency. So if if your constituency is, 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 is about finding jobs and your programs don't deliver to that, well, you're not going to attract the fundings to help people find jobs. Right. You know, you might have something that's great that, uh, for example, that we're helping people do knitting and, and it's a way for, for our seniors to have a great time. That's a, a very noble program and I wouldn't advocate getting rid of it. But is, is there another pain out there that you could be addressing that will help you get funding so that you can do the mission of the knitting as well as helping people move forward in their lives with a job? Well, Michael, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending the time with us, and, and uh, we wish you well with the book. When did the book first come out? On January 2nd. Of this so year. it's pretty new. It's yeah. very new. I hope it's doing well for you, and it I hope is, it continues it to is. grow. And, and I hope it uh, also furthers your career, too, because you've got some very special skills and gifts to give to people. And thank you so much for the opportunity. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.